Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. Uh, this week's episode, what's coming soon from PlayStation? Some big trouble in big China. And is Marvel truly cinema? All this or more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break, thanking you for listening to each and every one of our podcasts. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend, He's our own Gemini man of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, of course, also as well, Humanica Media and his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. It's an action packed weekend, my friend. It is. There's a lot going on this week, but what's happening this weekend? Is there a big movie coming out? I what should know have? this. I should really know this, but explain it to me. Lay it on me. Okay, I'll lay it on you right now. Gemini Man and also as well, the Adams Family are hitting theaters to compete against the Joker in its second weekend of distribution. So we'll be talking about that here in a minute. China's really not very happy with all the stuff that's going on here in the United States in the moment. And we'll talk about why when it comes to pop culture kind of making China a little bit angry. We'll talk about that here. Plus, also as well, we're going to be talking about Martin Scorsese's comments about Marvel and is it truly cinema? In fact, Rob McCallum is coming up here in a few minutes to talk about it first in his off-the-cuff segment. Jessica Box from the TVRainsGuide.com has her October TV update. Jamie Monroy has a review of Platoon's Party and thoughts on number 51 to 60 in our top 200 video games of all time. But first off, my friend, we're going to be talking about the PlayStation 5. I don't know, man. I would not have officially announced it through a Wired Magazine interview. That probably would have not been the best thing to do, but it did get out there through a Wired Magazine interview that the PlayStation 5 is officially announced and that it is coming out holiday of 2020. I want to ask you, my friend, hearing that first off in the manner that you did in just, like I said, a Wired Magazine article and not some type of pomp or circumstance or a PlayStation experience or anything like that, it kind of was underwhelming. This happened before, though, right? When they they kind of discussed what the PS5 was in a magazine, 
before, and it feels like that because of the you know the the public the outlets that they're doing this on, it feels to me and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like they don't have a lot of faith in this product yet. Not as of yet. I mean, it sounds awesome. I mean, delivering up to 8K, that is something I'm really interested in, even though we don't have any televisions right now to really support it that are feasibly economically acceptable to any consumers out there. I mean, you can get an 8K TV, but you got to dish out the chunk of change for that. So that part is nice. Again, it goes back to, are you going to have a television to support all this advancements? The fact that it, it does connect easily to PlayStation VR is nice. The feedback for the controller is great. And of course, it's PlayStation 4 backwards compatible. All that is great. But again, I go back to what you just said. That sounds like it's a nice deal. It's probably going to come at a high ticket price initially. But I don't think it's going to be, unless there are some great games attached to it that are exclusive to the system, something that a whole lot of people are going to want right away. Yeah, and I don't know. Sony's kind of been rebelling against the norms lately, especially, you know, they dropped out of E3. There hasn't really like their their PlayStation experience that they had was it was lackluster. You know, we got to see more Last of Us, and that was kind of what ran the show. They announced Ghost of Tsushima, a game that everyone was super stoked about last year at E3. We haven't heard anything about it since. There hasn't been a trailer. Nobody's Especially talked that's about a PlayStation it. PlayStation Five launch title. Yeah, that's what I'm assuming too. But like they have become too big for themselves. And with the marketing of the PlayStation 5, it just feels like, oh, you know what? We don't have to spend the money to do this. So we can just tell people about it and they'll be stoked. But what happens if they're wrong? It feels like they're putting out a product and there's not a lot of faith in it so far. Or they're overestimating just how badly people want it. Because, you know, I, I've seen the marketing for PlayStation, seen the marketing for Xbox. And I'm more impressed with what I've seen from Xbox just because... I've seen faces on a screen, you know, I've seen a video. I, I feel like I know more about it. I know more about the people developing it, whereas PlayStation 5 feels so mysterious and all they really did was announce the same things that the Xbox does. The only thing, like you said, is that they're not promoting it in a fashion that they feel like they're fully behind it, that they're resting their laurels on the 100 million units sold for the PlayStation 4 and this seems to me the same type of situation with what happened with the PlayStation 2 and PlayStation 3, where the PlayStation 2, they had just were so successful with it. Then they go ahead and released the PlayStation 3 with a lot of pomp, circumstance, and a truly high price point that not many could really afford. It seems like they're not learning from history. And they got really humbled when it came to the PlayStation 3, so much so that they did everything right initially with the PlayStation 4, and it looks like they're reverting back to what they were before with the PlayStation 3. And it just seems like that they're making the same mistakes and they're not learning from their own history. Well, the PlayStation 3 was a very, very sloppy launch. Like that had, the console was so expensive and it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Remember they kept talking about how, oh, this can achieve 60 frames per second, but there were no games that could run at 60 frames per second. So they had hyped up all these new innovations and we didn't see the fruits of those labors until like three years after the console came out. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at all this stuff, a cool ray tracing, oh boy, 8K. We're not even there yet. Like we're still buying 4K Blu-rays, you know, and a lot of people still haven't caught on to that yet. So what is the point? And it's good that this shows it's going to be, you know, something that works well on home technology for years to come. But why is that such a, a big focal point? You know, I love the idea of the solid state drive because that'll make loading times faster and do all that stuff. But 
that's kind of something that has to happen regardless, you know, where they're chalking it up like it's a huge feature. And then another thing that I have concern with is the price point, right? Because the, the PlayStation 4 released at $399. And then remember when the PS3 came out, if you wanted the higher gigabyte one, it cost $500. And so they're saying that the PS5 is going to premiere at a price point of $500. And is it really worth that much money, especially with the Xbox coming out at $100 cheaper? Exactly. I think this is where Xbox One will gain an advantage. I think this is where we'll see Xbox finally gain some momentum to the point where they can feel like they're competing at a level on par with both PlayStation and Nintendo if they truly get the jump that we think that they are, at least at this point in time. But there's a year still that we have to go ahead and and analyze and see what's coming up as far as games and the features, and there could be a price change in the works for either the PlayStation 5 or the next Xbox because, again, we're still talking about a year on out from the release of these two systems, so I'm eager to see what those two companies will have in mind, plus whatever Nintendo is going to do to stave off both of them because they're selling well right now as the number one console on the marketplace. So it'll be interesting to see what PlayStation 5 is going to deliver for us, what the next Xbox is going to deliver for us as well, So this time next year is going to be hot and heavy, and you and I hopefully will be reporting on it and letting everybody out out there our thoughts on the PlayStation 5 and the next Xbox. My friend, the Joker is in its second weekend, but you also have Gemini Man and also the Adams Family. I can tell you right now from the Adams Family, that has done a tremendous amount of promotion. It's in over 4,000 theaters this weekend, so I think it will do fairly well. But then you have Gemini Man, a film that was shot at 120 frames per second in 4K. There's only one problem, Josh. The film can't be shown in theaters in its true form. The reason why is simply because that none of the theaters here in the U.S. has a screen that can support it. The best they can do, there's only a few theaters, a small amount of theaters that can do the 120 frames per second, but it can only output it in 2K. So you can't even get it in 4K and 120 frames per second, which is kind of a bummer. You know, anybody who's going to go see Gemini Man this weekend is not going to really actually see it in the form Director Ang Lee wanted you to see it in. So I ask you, why go see the movie at all? I've been watching this, and I don't really think it's going to do as well as people think it does. Even if this movie is a visual feast, right? People are going to see this, and it's just amazing. It's blowing their minds. I haven't seen a lot of trailers for it. You know, I've read about it. I've seen trailers on TV every once in a while, but I haven't seen a lot of internet banners or really anything like that. So is it worth it to go see it not in its true form? Probably not. Are people going to find it that it's worth it to see it in general? Probably not. Yes, it does look like that's how it's going to go down. Simply because of the fact that it's not a movie I think a lot of people really want to see. I told you already I wasn't intrigued by the trailer very much. I think it has some flaws. Not the representation of Will Smith and and the younger Will Smith and the de-aging on that, because that looks pretty good. But some of the action scenes and some of the scenes where they have special effects on it, I didn't think came out through very well. And he's doing it on the, he's riding the bike on the wall. And it just did not look very believable when he tries to throw the bike at him and all that. Just, it just did not come to me across as something that I needed to see right away. It's probably something I'll catch on video later this year or something that I may catch later on on television or whatnot. But the reviews for the movie are okay, not great. But I think the fact that it's just not the movie that Ang Lee has intended for us to see, and we're not going to be able to see it in a theater in the manner that it was meant to be shown, 
it's kind of disappointing. And the fact is that it is now projecting right now as a number three this weekend, and it doesn't look like it's going to break even at all. So that's a disappointing right out of the gate. It looks like it's a movie that's going to get swept under pretty quickly, unless somehow dramatically people want to go ahead and check out Will Smith's latest, but he just doesn't have the marketing power that he once did. Yeah, he really just, like, he was a star in the 90s, and people don't like those kind of movies anymore. And, you know, as much as I love action films, and I love, you know, I love movies like Point Break, and I love Terminator and Alien and stuff like that, people just don't, they don't gravitate towards those movies anymore. And especially, like, in, in this era where people aren't going to the movie theaters as often, why are they going to take a chance on something that has an actor that has not been great recently and a movie that is not known really to anybody but their parents or people who grew up in that era? It just it seems like it was a really risky move to make this movie, you know, and it's not tied to Marvel or Disney or any of that stuff, which is sad, but it just it doesn't feel like this was a great time for that movie to come out. No, it really doesn't. And with its high price tag, rumored to be around $120, $130, even $140 million in production value, simply because it was being shot in a novel fashion that has not been tried too many times before in 120 frames per second in 4K, it looks like it's going to be something that's going to disappoint greatly at the box office because it's projected to do only about $20 million domestically at the box office, which is earmarking itself for a major disappointment for the studio. And that's going to be something that won't enhance Will Smith's status as a leading man, which I know is something that he's always been very conscious of since his great run in the 90s. And it doesn't look like it's going to be coming back anytime soon. You know, I was thinking about this this week, is that it's weird that he chose to do this movie and chose not to do the sequel to Independence Day. That one would have really improved the way that movie turned out. And two, it probably would have been smarter for him to jump into a role that he was already familiar with. Or even the Suicide Squad, because no matter how much you, I, and everybody else in the world trash that movie, it earned over $700 million worldwide at the box office. So just imagine with James Gunn now at the helm of a second Suicide Squad, just think of the possibilities and how much money it can gross and how much star power it could regain for you. Oh, yeah. And also think about what kind of doors could have opened had he chosen to do something with James Gunn, who is, despite his controversy last year, he's kind of on top of the world right now as far as directors go. He is definitely in that upper echelon. So we'll wait and see what is going to go on because Ang Lee is an Oscar award winning filmmaker. You know, he's done some great work in the past. This is a novel concept in Gemini Man, and I'm not talking about the de-aging of Will Smith. I'm talking about more how it was shot at 120 frames per second in 4K. And even though no theater in the United States can actually show Gemini Man in the form that was meant to be shown, it's still going to disappoint at the box office this weekend behind Adam's family and behind the Joker. But we'll go ahead and give you the actual details later on in our Monday episode. Definitely going to go ahead and report just how bad the losses are, and just how good the gains are for the Joker. What are your thoughts out there on what's going on with this weekend at the box office? Are you going to check out Gemini Man, Adam's Family, or the Joker? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Or are you excited for the PlayStation 5, which is now officially announced and coming to homes in the holiday season of 2020? 
Share us your thoughts on the latest specs and what's been given out. Is this something that you're really going to go ahead and save up the money for when it comes out next year? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up after break is going to be Rob McCallum's Off the Cuff. He's going to be talking about Martin Scorsese's comments about Marvel and a lot more. Plus, Josh and I are going to cash in with our thoughts on this brewing controversy with Martin Scorsese and all that. So we're going to talk about that, plus what's going on in China. A lot of stuff going on as far as South Park and and what's getting banned in China and thoughts on Marvel coming up after the break. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Off the Cuff and No Guff with Rob McCallum for the week of October 7th, 2019. Brought to you by Heroes Cards and Comics in London, Ontario, official sponsor of my new series, Action Figure Adventure. This is the near weekly show where you write in with topics you want me to talk about for some unknown reason. This is also a bit of a double shot since next week is Thanksgiving in Canada and I'll be traveling. Here's part one. Martin Scorsese says superhero movies are not cinema. I tried, you know, Scorsese said, of attempting to watch a superhero film released by the studio, but that's not cinema. The Irishman director continued, honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well made as they are, with the actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to one another. Whether you agree with him or not, it brings up an interesting question of what is cinema. Scorsese's contemporaries like Spielberg have even questioned the validity of Netflix being cinema and films being worthy of an Oscar with so many amazing TV shows topping demand, aesthetics, and appeal compared to the average fare released theatrically. Does cinema even mean movies anymore? Does it mean form? Is it the treatment of a subject matter? Commentary on the human condition. Ironically, for decades, movies were the target of high art, and now it seems that that's come full circle, with so many prominent names now saying that content created on TV and streaming services, like Netflix and Scorsese's The Irishman, isn't good enough to go alongside films that make billions of dollars in the theater. In response to Scorsese's comments, Kevin Feige says, and I'm paraphrasing, I'd take a room full of fans than critics any day. I think everybody needs to just back off on this whole topic and just decide that Everything, be it streaming, Netflix, TV, the movies, YouTube, Twitch, it's all in the realm of entertainment. No need to draw lines in the sand, and that's not because you're offending people, it's because it's so arbitrary. And honestly, it's a bit much for Scorsese to complain about the spandex burnout as he sees it when he's coming out with yet another mob film involving De Niro, no? But I'm not done. Now Jennifer Aniston is saying that only Marvel movies exist at the box office, and she wants Hollywood to go back to the Meg Ryan days. Well, folks, can we please drop this woe is me act and get to the point that films in the theater have to be a certain kind of film to succeed or otherwise they could lose millions of dollars. And those millions of dollars that lost aren't coming out of these people's pockets. Part of the reason for this is, of course, because TV content is just as good as theatrical stuff. And people would rather stay at home, binge at their leisure with their snacks, watching their 50, 60 or 70 inch TV in their deluxe recliner. I agree with Aniston that I would love more diverse options at the movie theaters these days. Heck, I'm a documentary filmmaker. How many documentaries get made versus the number that screen theatrically? You're preaching to the choir. But instead of bemoaning about how things used to be, embrace what is possible now and keep pushing for your art. Let's not forget when a film or a series gets released on Netflix, 
and probably Amazon and Apple, as we'll see in Disney Plus and whatever other platform you weren't talking about. Millions of people instantly see that and there's no barrier to entry like there is to get up, take the family, put them in the van, get their snacks at the concession stand, pay all the money, pay $100 to see one hour and a half film where you're going to be fighting to take the kids to the bathroom back and forth. Or if you're lucky enough to go with a significant other, it's still a lot of money for a little bit of time compared to the cost of a monthly subscription. Times are changing and whether you long for the good old days or not, just get going with it and embrace it and use it to your advantage. Next topic was, which Star Trek is more interesting to you, Discovery or Picard? As good as Discovery has been and the interesting niche following that's amassed, which is really unique for a big IP like Star Trek, nothing can hold a candle to Picard. It's a series that's 25 years in the making. I'm only worried that with only 10 episodes to do the whole series, is it going to do justice to the character? Is it going to leave fans clamoring for more despite already knowing that it's the final chapter? It's also a little bit like deja vu when we knew that Logan was going to be the last go at it for Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart in the X-Men world. I think the bigger question here is, should characters come back for final chapters or leave it open? We've seen how that went with Star Wars and now Trek. What's left? The Muppets in those characters have a rocky reception. Should they come back and try to close it out? Toy Story 4 wasn't the massive hit or end note people hoped for. I mean, in Forced to Pick, as much as I'm excited for Picard, I'd rather leave things open and never have to say goodbye to any character or saga. Allow those adventures to exist inside the mind, and of course, fuel endless fanboy debates. News came down that Disney is no longer accepting ads from Netflix on its TV network, namely ABC. Is this right or wrong? Well, on the one hand, they get to control what they want to buy and sell. On the other hand, by refusing to air ads for competition, it further puts them in a censorship position and helps strengthen their monopoly of entertainment. Only watch Disney. Only watch Disney shows. You can see how that goes. What if Google prevented ads or web pages online from showing up? Facebook has already started to censor what they don't want people to see. Oh wait, and that's exactly what just happened in China thanks to the new South Park episode. The Chinese government literally erased every ounce of the show online in entirety, clips, everything, it's all gone. Is there a place though where we can control what we see, how and why? Our attention and our eyeballs are being pushed around crazy. Passively, perhaps, in other directions, I wonder how many of us care. Does it really matter to you? I think it should, because people want to know what they can't see and the fact that they're actually being controlled. That's it for this week. If you want to weigh in on any topic or riff on something related to pop culture, hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rob McZob. All right. Thanks to Rob McCallum for sharing his thoughts on Off the Cuff. Josh, you heard Martin Scorsese's comments on Marvel, Jennifer Aniston's comments on Marvel. I want to hear your thoughts. Is Marvel true cinema? You're putting me in a tough spot here. So I... No, it's just a simple question. Oh my gosh, this is hard because I do enjoy the Marvel films. But, you know, as, as we've discussed before, like you look at what Marvel and Disney are and, you know, Lucasfilm even. Warner Brothers, I guess, has done, I mean, not as successfully, but they're still doing this. Like, the movie market is monopolized by superheroes and epics and these big sagas, whereas you have these old filmmakers like Steven Spielberg, you have George Lucas now. You James have Cameron. James Cameron. I mean, I don't even know if he counts anymore with his 1,300 Avatar movies, but you have, you know, it, it feels like, you have these guys like Scorsese, right? He came up with uh, Francis Coppola. They started that studio back when they were all younger, Spielberg. Like all these old school filmmakers, 
they were around when Hollywood was at a tipping point, right? Hollywood was at the point where they were deciding whether or not they were going to shut down these studios or hand the reins over to the, a younger generation of filmmakers who had exciting stories to tell outside of these serialized like pulp fiction, science fiction stuff. And that was when the landscape of film really changed. But now you have these pioneers who are being pushed out of the industry because of these big superhero films. So I totally understand why Scorsese feels the way he does and says the things he does. And I don't think what he said was really that offensive. He just says, you know, as spectacular as they are, they're not true cinema because they're not conveying human emotion. They do convey human emotion, but it's only on a scale of like, oh, the world is ending. So it's not normal stories about normal people. Well, to answer the question, not whether it is or isn't cinema, I think that's a joke. I think it's ridiculous that you should say Marvel's not cinema. What makes The Godfather cinema and Marvel not cinema? I mean, that's not fair. It is a form of cinema. Whether it's a form of cinema that you like or you do not like, that's your opinion, and you're entitled to it. But to say Marvel you know, and superhero movies are not true cinema, I think is wrong. I think that's punishing every type of cinema that dealt with any type of heroes or villains concept that goes way back when, almost the dawn of cinema, where you have a protagonist and an antagonist. So you tell me. I mean, that that's just something that is wrong. You can't have it both ways. To me, it's cinema. It can be cinema that you don't like and that you don't choose to watch. Again, that's your choice. Unfortunately for him, and that's, you know, that's neither here nor there, it's the fact that right now with with what's going on in the world and what their tastes are and what the general majority of the public likes is superhero movies. They always liked action pictures, popcorn flicks. They always go see it. I mean, the Jurassic Park movies make a ton of cash. The Lord of the Rings movies made a ton of cash. Star Wars movie has made a ton of cash. And I'm sorry if that's not catering to Martin Scorsese's taste or Jennifer Aniston's taste. And she can go ahead and clown off on everything as far as, oh, I don't want to act in front of a green screen and all that. But you know what? That's her choice as an actress to go ahead and choose whatever role she wants. But don't clown on those people that do because they're actors. That's jobs in the marketplace for actors. And if you didn't have all these superhero movies or all these other action movies or all these other green screen movies that you're doing the majority of your work in front of a green screen, if you didn't have that, that's a lot of work for a lot of actors that aren't there. It's up to taste, I think, but it is all cinema. Those are our thoughts. If you have different thoughts, let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Is Marvel and superhero movies truly cinema? I think they are, and I think you, if you don't like them, you don't have to watch them. Simple as that. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, before we head to the break and the rest of the show, I want to ask you real quick, Banned in China. A lot of stuff going on as far as China, not liking a lot of things that have been going on with the tweet that was sent out by Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey regarding Hong Kong, getting the NBA, Houston Rockets, and him in a lot of hot water and a lot of dollars lost, potentially billions of dollars right there. Then you have an individual that was partaking in a Hearthstone tournament that during an interview said free Hong Kong. And that individual not only got banned by Blizzard for a year, he got his prize money taken away, which has caused a major uproar on Twitter, on social media in regards to boycotting Blizzard. Then you have the guys from South Park. You can never forget the guys from South Park. Their episode 299 was called Banned in China, just B-A-N-D, Banned in China. 
And the episode goes basically just another one of those episodes where they go ahead and push the envelope even more. It got China angry to the point where they obliterated anything relating to South Park on their internet. So I ask you, my friend, I don't see a good ending to this anytime soon. And if you keep on going ahead and hitting that hot button, which to them, a hot button right now is Hong Kong, we're still going to see more stuff like this happen. And it could lead to even more of a censorship from China, which was starting to embrace a lot of the stuff that we were sending them. And it looks like because of the Hong Kong issue, a lot of that stuff could be taken away. I have two thoughts on this. One is we have a lot of people who like, I, you know, I applaud revolutionaryism, if that's a word. I'm sorry, hold on, this dog barking. It's not mine actually for once. <laughs> but at the same time, like, why bother saying it? Like, I, you have a platform, that's that's cool. But like, you can be more constructive with that platform than saying something that you know is going to get you in trouble. My other thought on that is the opposite side of that coin, right? We've gotten to the point where we are afraid to say things because so much of the people that we work for here have big markets in China. So we are essentially having to censor ourselves. And like, that's one thing that I'm not okay with, but it feels like the hammer in this situation, like there needs to be a set standard because it feels like the hammer is coming down harder on some people than others. It's weird, you know, that we, we are so afraid because we have such big markets in China. As for the South Park thing, it's not unusual. Look at how many people are talking about this. They knew it was going to happen. And I guarantee you, they looked at the number of viewers in China and decided that it was worth it because now look how many people are talking about South Park. It's all over the news. Absolutely. You got to do something to keep it fresh in your 24 season. So leave it to South Park to go ahead and do that. I mean, this is not the first time that they've done something so egregious to one sector of the population that that sector has gone out of the way to go ahead and ban or even Comedy Central has had to ban episodes of South Park in the past because of the controversial nature of some of the stuff that they show. So that's not surprising at all. But when it comes to this issue, Hong Kong is a very hot button and you're going to hear more statements that are going to be straight down the middle like we've been seeing from the NBA in the past few days. And yes, the money there is, you know, when they tell you it's not about the money, it is about the money for the NBA, for Blizzard and for anybody else that's doing business with a lot of money invested into China. It is going to be an issue going forward that you have to go ahead and walk that fine line. And it will remain a hot button until something is resolved, hopefully peacefully for Hong Kong. And we can go forward and bring good things to not only their culture, but their culture can bring good things to us. People are going to comment on it. It's, just, it's like me coloring my hair pink and going out in public. People are going to talk about it. I can't like censor everybody that says something about me, though. And thank goodness that's not going to be the case of you coloring your hair pink. But what are your thoughts out there on the continual issues going on with China, with Blizzard, the NBA, and South Park? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up after the break, Jessica Boggs from the TVRatingsGuide.com has our October TV update. Right after that, Jamie Monroy is going to be reviewing Batoon's Party and counting down number 51 to 60 in our top 200 video games of all time. And then Josh and I will be back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. 
Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. She is one of the mainstays of the TVRatingsGuide.com. You got to check out all the great stuff that they're doing, including ratings updates, reviews, articles, also as well original content that you can check out all right there at the TVRatingsGuide.com. It is my good friend. It is Jessica Boggs. Back again. Back again for October. That's right. And this is an update I think a lot of people look forward to when it comes to the early returns and the early results. Not only the new shows, but also the regular recurring shows, some of which were on the fringe, some of which were doing well, maybe not doing so well, some of which may have gotten an uptick. But for now, overall, I think on broadcast television as a whole, I think attendance and viewing is a little bit down, if I'm not mistaken. It's actually pretty down overall. And I'm not surprised on that because the fact that there's all those streaming alternatives and it's just going to get even worse with Disney and Apple and NBC Universal and Warner Brothers all coming on the way with their own streaming services. So definitely something to be wary of going forward. And I think that number is still going to trend down in the near future as well. So be that as it may, people are still watching somewhat to an extent. So I want to hear your thoughts. What's going on first off with the broadcast networks and ABC? Stumptown is getting a lot more on delayed viewing than it actually would with Emergence in there. Emergence this week ticked down to a 0.5. I know single parents definitely got renewed mostly because of delayed viewing, but that's its lead in and it's not doing well either. And that kind of like hurts Stumptown a little bit, but... At least Stumptown has an excuse compared to Emergence. Modern Family this week hit its first fractional poor thing, and it's in the final season. So they're pretty much going to be going through the motions at this point in time until you get to those final two or three episodes where you might see an uptick. But it's a very disappointing end to what many people thought was a very good series for 11 seasons. So tell me now where we're going as far as CBS is concerned and some of the shows that they have right now on the network? Overall, tepid. Mondays, they were down with Bob Hart's Avishola settling in at a 0.7 and All Rise settling in at a 0.6. And then you get Tuesdays being the only night that's doing well overall despite declines. And then there's SWAT and SEAL Team. They both premiered pretty low too. SEAL Team, with an excuse, for a 0.7, and SWAT hitting a new series low at a 0.6. Moving on to Thursdays, the results on Thursday comedies were, oh my goodness, Young Sheldon premiered to a new low a couple weeks ago, and now it's like settling in the low ones, which affected the rest of the comedies. And then there's Fridays, which is a bigger point of contention. You get Magnum P.I. with a 0.6, dragging down Blue Bloods with it. But going into NBC, I know that you know they had some shakeups at the top, 
as far as Bonnie Hammer and other executives for NBC changing everything around in Universal, as far as the whole nine yards when it comes to sci-fi, shaking up that, USA, the new Universal network that's on the way, and then also as well NBC. But for NBC right now, even with all the shakeups, how is it doing overall and what shows are working out so far? Well, actually, the newbies so far are not really working out. You got Bluff City Law hitting a new series low at a point six, which is eh, not exactly on the fringe, but kind of bad for a drama unless you're the blacklist. And then Chicago Night in This Is Us, everything is mostly steady. But on Thursday night, that's where trouble happens. And you got Sunnyside that one week fell to a 10 to a point three. And many TV prediction sites are predicting a cancellation, either a near certain cancellation for that. And then Blacklist scored like a 0.5, 0.6. It did okay, but just not setting the ratings world on fire. But I feel like they're going to cut at least one of the comedies by November sweeps. And Prime Candidate, Sunnyside. But Fox has got a lot to talk about. In fact, the WWE SmackDown has come to Fox on Friday nights. It's in fact... From the time that they were on USA at about 2, 2.1 million viewers, now they're up to 3.5, 3.6 million viewers, which is a substantial leap. Let's see if they can hold on to that type of audience. But there's also some other news from Fox as well. Well, the biggest bomb that premiered on Fox was Almost Family. But Prodigal I mean- Son on Fox has really done well. I think you told me earlier that it got a full season pickup. So Fox seems to be very happy with what Prodigal Son is doing right now. But there's so much more to talk about when it comes to television. And again, I'm talking to Jessica Boggs from the TVRatingsGuide.com. you got to check out all the great stuff that she's doing there. CW, I want to say before we go into the bad, and usually there's a lot of bad when it comes to CW, I want to go ahead and say Batwoman has really done surprisingly decent numbers. Your thoughts on Batwoman, how well has it done, and the rest of CW going right now? I mean, it's never a pretty sight for CW, but there are a couple of decent signs. Well, so far, as I've seen all the shows premiere, no show has premiered at a point two or a point one or hit the blue tar ski. But I do want to ask you, Batwoman did come out to some decent numbers. It can be a viable show that they can build around long term. I think it's correct. And maybe because it grew from the half hour, which is like a really good sign for it. And that helps Supergirl too with its ratings. Well, that's good. That's always a positive sign. I'm just worried about, you know, when it comes to the long term of that show, because Ruby Rose did sustain an injury, I believe, during filming of one of the episodes. So I don't want to say her future there is in doubt, but. You know, has the show been put on hiatus because of it, or are they still trying to go ahead and film through the episodes that they're contracted to make? They might put that on production hiatus. I don't know about the production schedules in there, but so far, so good with the ratings. But what the big highlight is, like for Monday, is I've seen All Americans numbers, and it's skewed pretty much younger than its later episodes, which is a pretty strong side. Like, it's 1834 for the last few episodes was at a point one. This premiered to a point three in the both 1834 and 1849. 
those demos are always tough. And those are the key demos, obviously, for advertisers and what they look for as far as the age groups, 18 to 34, 18 to 49, because of the amount of spending that demo does. And that's why advertisers really target. And that's why television networks really target that demo. I want to ask you, though, as we head on out, because, again, CW, we're going to wait and see how the numbers fall or how the numbers maybe stay with that network coming up in a November TV update. But I will ask you this. Before we head on out, I need you to give us an update on what's going on in the world of cable. Any surprising shows or numbers that are sticking out to you that you need to report on? I know AHS 1984 hasn't gone as well as hoped. I think the premiere dropped about half a point from the previous year, which I think is concerning to Fox. It still did a 1.0 from what I remember, but that's, like I said, half a point is half a point. Well, after like week two and stuff, it's pretty much settled 0.5 and 0.6s. It's still pretty good for FX standards. And then is there anything else in cable that you want to go ahead and point out? I know sci-fi is in such a mess right now. We talked about that earlier, but is there anything else that you want to point out when it comes to cable? I mean, The Walking Dead just premiered with some you know, disturbingly low numbers. I think that's probably the easiest way to say that. And I'm going to go ahead and delve into more of that on our Monday episode with Daphne Matthew. But I want to ask you your thoughts on what's going on with The Walking Dead and some of the other shows on cable that you wanted to report on. The Walking Dead still ended up being the top-rated show on AMC with a 1.4 in the demo. But I'm thinking they're doing more budget cuts as we speak. Well, absolutely. Well, Denai Guerrera is leaving the show, but she's got so many different priorities because she's such a skilled actress. I cannot blame her for now with her success from Marvel and whatnot that she wants to go ahead and do other things. But I know Lauren Cohen is coming back next season, from what I hear, as far as the rumors are concerned, because of the, well, maybe because of her stuff that she did outside hasn't done very well. But be that as it may, I know that the numbers, even though, like you said, it's still the top show on AMC, that still can't be a promising sign because that is one of the lowest rated premieres of the series, if not the lowest. So that's a trend that they haven't been able to stop as of yet. It's been trending downward for years now, and it still looks like it's going in that direction, which is very sad for a lot of longtime TWD fans. But be that as it may, is there anything else on cable that's sticking out to you right now? Uh, Van Helsing on Sci-Fi premiered pretty weak, if I should say so myself. And what numbers were looking for for Van Helsing? Well, I did see a 0.07 for the premiere, which would mark cancellation on sci-fi, as sci-fi is cleaning house at the moment. As we indicated, yes, sci-fi is really in a state of disarray. I think a lot of the shows are underperforming. They've always had this low-budget feel, this indie underground feel to a lot of their shows that I'm not sure a lot of people were able to get into. You know, they have like this cult status. But when all of these shows have this cult status, it just tells me that they don't have any standout shows themselves that can draw a larger audience. They have all these shows that have a niche audience, and that's all they're catering to. And that's that's something I know that they want to go ahead and reevaluate at this point in time, especially with the shakeups, like I said earlier, at Universal. So we'll have to see how that goes. That's an interesting report for this month. A lot of shows that you said are trending in one direction or the other. A lot of things that you want to take out of it as far as from the early returns so far this season. But before we head on out, 
Jessica, I want to hear an update of what's going on with your work at the TVRatingsGuide.com. And why should people tune in to the TVRatingsGuide.com? Well, we got like all the ratings reports. We do have all the renew cancel columns. And we basically show our fates on like what shows are going to get renewed, what shows are going to get canceled. And it's going to be pretty hard with Fox because of the merger and its effects. All the TVRGO shows in between in their network is just premiered pretty strong on the site, which is pretty good news. And then we got Writer's Block coming Thursday night. Fair enough, fair enough. And then you also have your show, Jessica's show, that is now on Anchor and also so many different podcast outlets. What's coming up for your show this weekend for Jessica's show? We're talking more in detail about the CW as well as talk about some music and books this week. Fair, fair enough, indeed. That is Jessica's show. You want to catch it today on either Anchor, Spotify, or any of the other major podcast outlets, including Apple Podcasts, where you go ahead and give her a five-star review. Go ahead, get that show a five-star review, just like you hopefully will do for ours as well. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for giving us that update for the month of October on everything going on in the broadcast and cable TV landscape. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on what's going on for November. I know a lot of things are going to be updated even more. Some cancellations we're probably going to see take place by then. I think you're going to update us on that. That's always interesting to see what shows are already going to get the axe when it comes to what's coming up for broadcast television and cable television coming up in November as well. Once again, it's Jessica Boggs. You got to check out her work today on the TVRatingsGuide.com and catch her podcast, Jessica's show, on every major podcast outlet. Jessica, it's always great to have you on the show as we're flipping the channels each and every month right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back to close out the show. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here along with my good friend. He's our man from GameSource. You got to check out GameSource on Facebook today. It is my good friend, Jamie Monroy. Jamie, you gave us a great review on Monday. Let's have a party with Patoon's party. Well, you know, the party was there, but it just wasn't that great. Party died out. Sounds like your experience was not quite what you were hoping for. No, you know, out the gate, I initially went into it obviously expecting something along the lines of Mario Party, because obviously it's got the word party in it. It can be a four-player game. You can play it solo. I ended up playing it different ways, which I'll explain in a moment. Basically, though, it was almost cookie-cutter Mario Party, except for little tweaks here and there or little things that you wish it may have had that Mario Party has, which that's where it kind of left me going, well, I could just play Mario Party. So it was not quite the experience, but tell us, as you were going through it, and this version that you played was on the PlayStation 4, but it is on virtually all major platforms that are out there. As you got a chance to delve into it, since it is like Mario Party, or some of the mini games involved with Patoon's Party? Some of the mini games that I unlocked on the first island, you had a stacking game where there was little 
I want to say the creatures on the island were landing and you had to stack them. Now you could stack them and they would lean a little bit, but sometimes you have to watch the next one that falls, but they would also drop pineapples. So you could be almost at the top, a pineapple would fall. And if you're not paying attention, you're all the way back down at the bottom starting over. So it had tweaks like that, which, you know, remnant of things playing little mini games in Mario Party. It had ones where you were hurting like the little creatures from one side of a river to another. I know just playing during the game, I know one little thing that was tweaked up differently that I liked was when two players landed on the same spot, it went instantly into a rock, paper, scissors duel, which unfortunately I was doing well on and then I lost the very last one on the last spot. (laughs) Oh. Right? Wow, wow. There's a lot of options for the game. Is that correct? Absolutely. There's tons of different modes. You don't just have to play through this, what I guess you would consider a story mode, going through the islands and playing basically the board. So well, that sounds like a positive, but it sounds like the games that you were involved with, even, like you said, even with all those options, the actual games themselves weren't, I guess as a collective whole, weren't all that fun. Right. You know, I mean, typically I can get the wife, the kids out jumping, playing Mario Party and That's You. We play a lot of the games on PS4 with the play link. So they're all really cool with that. This one just, it didn't catch the attention. Like, I literally had them look at me and say, why are we just not playing Mario Party? This is such a downgrade. Overall, your impressions on it, and if you're able to give it a score, what would you give it? I personally would give it a 5.5, because everybody had that opinion of why are we just not playing Mario Party? We could get a better experience. I don't know if it was just that as a whole that was bothering me or if it was the fact that maybe I didn't give it enough to give me more of a chance. Maybe I need to go back and take a look at it again and say, hey, there is this more of a little bit of a tweak or I can find this in it that I really do like, which I do really like the fact that it has the rock, paper, scissors option. That was really fun for me. Fair enough indeed, my friend. Once again, it's Jamie Monroy from GameSource. You got to check out everything he's doing today on Facebook at GameSource. But if you want to check out the written review for this game, that's Platoon's Party, which is now available on virtually every major video game platform. You can check it out this weekend on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com to check out his full thoughts on the game in a written format. It sounds like it wasn't the best time in the world, but for more detail on it, why he was thinking the way he was thinking on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. But speaking of popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, I usually save this part for Josh, but I wanted to keep you while you were here. We're going to go ahead and count down another 10 on the top 200 video games of all time. And since you're the man from GameSource, I thought on this episode, I'd count them down with you. We're going to go ahead and you and I will break down another 10 on the top 200 video games of all time with numbers 51 through 60. We'll start off with number 60 is Bucky O'Hare. Number 59 is Brave Fencer Musashi. 58, Super Mario Odyssey. 57 is Halo 2. 56 is Warlords. 55 is Resident Evil. 54 is Pokemon Silver. 53 is Onomusha. 52 is Spiral the Dragon. And 51 is Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. So you heard the list right there, my friend. Any great memories? Because I know I have some when it comes to number 51 through 60. Any of those games stick out to you as far as numbers 51 through 60? Oh, you're killing me because you know exactly which one I'm going to go for. It's probably the exact same one that I know you have fond memories and fond thoughts of. And what, pray tell, would that be? Halo, Halo. Halo 2, of course. 
what fond memories do you have of Halo 2? Halo 2 was, for me, oh my gosh, everybody's going to get their consoles and go to this person's house, or we're all going to play online, and it's, oh, it was the dawn of everybody finally, you know, playing together, but still, in that time, it was still more of taking your system somewhere. Everybody met up somewhere, and it was, I don't know, I that was the fondest memories for me. For me, it did revolutionize the multiplayer platform. It made everything a lot more smoother, made a lot more interesting experience. And it actually, for two straight years, hooked me in almost every night, going night after night after night, playing Halo 2 again and again and again. Just it was a wonderful experience, just such a great time as far as from a large map or smaller map, more intimate setting to a larger grand scale, depending on the type of game mode that you were playing, was truly a lot of fun. Capture the flag, deathmatch, didn't matter. It was just a great time. A lot of great memories from that game. Super Mario Odyssey, I know a lot of people, because it's a more recent game, have fond memories of that one. It's been one of the best sellers on the Nintendo Switch, and there's every reason why, because it's a very solid platformer. I mean, a lot of the other games, they are classics from the past. Resident Evil, I know, brings back a lot of memories for a lot of people. Onimusha for the PlayStation 1 is a very good game as well. Spiral the Dragon at number 52. I know Josh will have a lot to say about that. And then also you have at 51, GTA San Andreas, which really broadened the open world aspect of games and what a game can do. So GTA San Andreas for that alone, plus the fact it really heightened the awareness of GTA to a larger audience. So that's numbers 51 through 60. If you want to check out that list with our thoughts, plus also the list of everything on the top 200, they're in lists of 10. You can catch them today along with Jamie's written review of Patoon's Party this weekend on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Well, my friend, it's been great talking to you about not only Patoon's Party and then also as well, numbers 51 through 60. Any last thoughts for you on the way out? I appreciate being part of the top 100, especially that part of the list, Halo 2. That, whew, that made me want to go back and play it right now, honestly. That nostalgia kicked in. What streaming options do you have? For that, we're going to be looking at twitch.tv slash degenerate2018. I will tell you, it's a great time talking to you indeed, as long as we're not playing the Halo 2 campaign, which we won't talk about how bad that ended. Well, my friend, you heard the thoughts of Jamie Monroy on number 51 to 60 in our top 200 video games of all time. As you had a chance to peruse what was going on on that latest list of 10, what your experiences with games in the 51 to 60 in our top 200 video games of all time. Okay, Brave Fencer Musashi, I love this game. Remember you asked us what our favorite soundtracks were during our Pop Culture Cosmos panel at Level Up Expo? I did. This game has one of the greatest soundtracks I've ever listened to. Like, I remember always being curious about this. This is before I got into RPGs. I remember being super curious about this. I just gotten done playing Final Fantasy VII. I was at Blockbuster, saw Brave Fencer Musashi, last copy left on the shelf. I'm like, oh, okay, why not? Sat there, turned it on. I played it until I was done. Like, I think I slept probably three hours that night. Got up the next morning, played more Brave Fencer Musashi. I think I, I rented it on Friday and I beat it on Sunday. It is a fantastic game. And, like, I totally see why it costs so much money because it's amazing. You know, you go on eBay, the cheapest copy you can find is, like, 80 bucks, And very rarely do they still come with the books and the, the original casing. So I'm a huge fan of this game. Absolutely love it. Super Mario Odyssey is one of those games that I played it. I beat it. 
I didn't feel the need to go back and keep trying to get the stars or the moons like I did with Mario 64. And maybe that's just because there are other games I wanted to play. So I didn't like feel the need to keep going back to that one. Great game. And I love the way that Mario's been able to translate himself into modern gaming. But, I, you know, it's not something that I felt compelled to play like I did with Mario's in the past, if that makes sense. Halo 2, who doesn't have great memories of this game, right? This was the first, like, I remember buying so many magazines, reading about the campaign. I was hooked. What always drew me into Halo was the mythology of the mythology, the soundtrack, the characters. It was all so compelling. And I remember spending like days and days playing Combat Evolved with my brother. You know, we'd play it on normal, then we'd move on to heroic, move on to legendary, do the thing where like you'd have one person hide back, the other person would die and they'd reappear. And then the next person would charge in there and try to clear out the rest of the enemies. Love this. And then I love like the way they brought some of the old maps back, but put new skins on them. So that was like my first true experience with multiplayer gaming online, because that was when the original Xbox Live kit started coming out. Going back here, Warlords, never really played. Resident Evil, huge fan of those games. I didn't actually play Resident Evil to Resident Evil 2, and then I went back and played the first one. So I, I did the remasters on Games Pass. So I played Zero, then I played Resident Evil Great game, not a lot to say about those. Pokemon Silver was fun, the first official sequel to Red and Blue, which was Gold and Silver. Really liked those games. Never played Onimusha. Spyro the Dragon, what kid does not have great memories of Spyro the Dragon? I actually just bought the remastered version last Christmas, and I was sitting there playing it. Now available on Switch, by the way, if you're interested. But as someone who has gaming OCD, where I like, I have to 100% everything, it's not as bad as it used to be. I remember having to go back and always wanting to find all the diamonds. I'd go through, like, I would go online trying to find out oh, where's this last egg, where's this last diamond, and I just spent hours playing this game. Didn't like the sequels very much, but Spiral the Dragon, classic game. Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, unfortunately, never really had experience with that one. What about you, though? Anything on this list that sticks out? As I mentioned, Halo 2, just a truly remarkable, innovative multiplayer, one of the best multiplayer experiences ever. I played it for two straight years. And GTA San Andreas, I mean, the fact that you could go ahead and and how it was built and, and such an open world and the three big different cities that you could go to within the game, within the context of the game, just just truly a, a great experience, open world gaming. And it led to such a expansive GTA atmosphere and more GTA iterations that have expanded the series even further. So those are our thoughts on numbers 51 to 60 in our top 200 video games of all time. If you want the entire list, just check out our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, or check out our episodes in the past few weeks on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel. Well, my friend, just want to go ahead and thank Rob McCallum for his off-the-cuff segment, Jessica Box from the TVRatingsGuide.com for her October TV update, and Jamie Monroy for his review of Patoon's Party. If you need a listing of where we're at, because we're being played all around the world seven days a week on radio stations worldwide, you can just check out our listings today, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, where you also get a listing of many of our over 30 different podcast options as well. Before we head on out, my friend, you got to give everybody an update on how they can get your awesome book, which is selling very well, and it's reviewed even better. Congratulations, you suck. Yeah, I'm actually like getting reviews from people I've never met before. As an author, that's something that makes me feel very good. Also, it is on its way to selling out again on Amazon. So you can, I think it was like seven or eight copies left. So you can pick one of those up today and uh, you can get the book from Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, 
Book Locker, and there's a lot of other secondhand sellers that are selling it now, I've noticed. I would honestly appreciate it if you just picked up the book, but also I'd love it if you left a review on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. That would help me out a great deal. And if you already have picked it up, thank you very much. Once again, that's congratulations. You suck. You got to get it today. BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, The Nook, The Kindle, or stop by your local Barnes & Noble. Any last thoughts on the way out? I think we pretty much covered everything. I am still playing Borderlands, so I'm almost done. I'll have some thoughts on that when I'm finished with it. But for now, I think we're good. We'll look for our Monday show to also recap what went on on the weekend box office. Plus also, I'm hoping to also get Daphne Matthew from The Walking Dead to talk about The Walking Dead universe because I have a lot of questions right now when it comes to the whole TWD universe and so much more coming on our Monday's Pop Culture Cosmos. So for Josh Peterson... This is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC Multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.